So if you're anything like me, you're not a huge fan of going to the grocery store. I love Thrive Market because I can shop hundreds of high quality items for me and my kid because you know we like the snacks and they get delivered right to your door. Thrive Market makes it easy to shop for your own specific needs and you can filter by more than 90 diets and values from gluten-free to certified organic to paleo to vegan. And what I love about Thrive Market is that they are a certified B Corp. That means that they went the extra mile to get the certification. It stands for B Corporation. And that means they use their business as a force for good. And for them to maintain the certification, Thrive Market is legally required to consider its impact of its decisions on workers, communities, customers, suppliers, and the environment. There's a link in the show notes to check out Thrive Market and to save 40% off your first order. Hey, hey, welcome back to So I Got Divorced. It's Beth, and I hope you had a great week. Fridays always roll around, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this week seemed like it was so long. But then I'm like, oh, it's Friday. It's the weekend. I'm so excited. So last week I was talking about dating and the the struggle that dating can be, but I actually was thinking about that topic a lot more because I had a date last Saturday and it was very casual coffee date because that's how I roll (laughs) for our first date. But it, I think the more that I practice dating, the more that I get into the habit of just being okay with who I am and just being myself and like just getting out of my comfort zone, which is what I think dating is to some degree. And, you know, I think it's, for me, it works better if I'm not under pressure to have a first date where I'm eating in front of someone else and trying to talk and like have a conversation across the table. I just much rather prefer just like initially meeting someone for coffee or a drink and then going from there. So anyway, adventures in dating, when will it end? But it actually was fun and I'm kind of excited about that because it it does give me hope. But then again, maybe it's all my mindset that has been shifting when it comes to dating. This week, I am excited to share an interview that I did with Nat Smith and it's all about the Enneagram. So if you don't know anything about the Enneagram, Nat talks all about that in this episode. And we talk about all of the Enneagram types and it's just a really great conversation about how the Enneagram has changed our lives also and how we can best use it to our advantage. And so I'm so excited for you to hear this. And if you are already into the Enneagram, I think you can still get something out of this episode. Here it is. Hey, Nat. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. This is exciting. This is my first podcast I've been on. So, Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm so excited now. <laughs> so <laughs> you're here today to talk about the Enneagram, but mm-hmm. first yeah. um, tell us more about you. Yeah. So I grew up in the arts very much, uh, you know, doing a lot of music, theater, and then spent my 20s doing theater, got a playwriting MFA. And one thing and another happened, and I ended up becoming a coach to help other people uh, learn how to express and connect through vulnerability. So yeah, basically I'm a creativity and connection coach and I use a different, a lot of different modalities and tools to help people live their best lives. And, uh, yeah. So vulnerability is a big part of that. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. So do you use the Enneagram with your clients that you work with? So it's interesting because I think it's something that's kind of under the surface of everything I do. It's not necessarily something that comes to the forefront in terms of, 
okay, you know, let's find your type and, you know, make decisions based on that. But I know for me, a lot of uh, my work and how I show up as a coach is based around my personal work with the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm getting to know my clients, then coming to understand their patterns and how they show up is a big part of that. So I'm in a year-long training program right now. And I think there definitely may be a point in the future where I bring the Enneagram forward a lot more prominently in my work. But for now, it's more something that kind of is like under the surface. And then if people have questions and want to dig into it, we can totally do that. Yeah, that makes so much sense because the Enneagram can give you so many clues into how you work and how other people really work. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us more about what the Enneagram is? Yeah, for sure. So when we refer to the Enneagram, what we're typically talking about is the Enneagram of personality, which is relatively new. It's really just been a few decades that it's been uh, taught and integrated and become a phenomenon, I guess. I mean, I think we didn't even have books about the Enneagram until probably the 80s. So I feel like every book you pick up, it's going to have a whole bunch about the history that may go back a lot further into some of the um, some of the different ideas that it's developed from and where the uh, nine pointed um, symbol comes from, which is like uh, more simply is kind of like what the Enneagram is, is uh, the uh, Ennea has to do with the nine um, points on that. But yeah, so when we talk about the Enneagram of personality, what we're talking about is a system that looks at basically the, the nine core ways that people show up in the world that are kind of based on their core wounds and then the patterns that they used to learn how to navigate the world around that. So when you look at the idea of personality, there's a lot of debate about, okay, what is nature and what is nurture? And I don't think uh, the philosophy of the Enneagram fully gets into that. Although if it does land on one side, it's probably more on the nurture side because we're really looking at how our early environments shaped us to show up in a specific way. So, you know, in your early years, you might have a really tumultuous environment where you end up feeling, oh, my needs are not being met. I have to take care of my needs myself. I really have to focus on that. So there's, there's a couple of different sides. There's the, the nine types, which um, each are connected to a different core desire and a different core fear. And then there's also the three instincts, which look at different, uh, like the, the three systems that our body has to get our main needs met. So that would be the sort of self-preservation system, which is all about survival, our social system, and our sexual system. So those are kind of like all evolved at different parts in human history. We all of course use all of those strategies. Same with the nine types. We all kind of draw on the different types in different ways, but each of us has a type that we lead with. And we also have a, an instinct that we lead with. So what the Enneagram does is it kind of looks at, you know, brings together these different elements and then helps you identify what are the automatic patterns that happen when you're not even aware of how you're reacting? You don't know, oh, like this is a defense mechanism. Uh, you just kind of think, oh, like this is how people are. This is what people do. But it's actually based on your own type. And so it's super useful both for getting to know yourself, seeing where are the places that you get stuck and you don't really see the options outside of your limited perception. And also when you're working with other people and uh, particularly trying to build healthy relationships to be able to see, oh, wow, you know, I come from this perspective where, uh, for instance, with a type two, we use numbers in the Enneagram. So it's kind of not, not like judgy <laughs> in having 
titles or names. So for a type two, you might come from a place where you will do all of these acts of service and care for other people, but it's actually a way for you to get your own needs met because you have a hard time asking, hey, could you do this for me? So instead, you know, you might make a super nice meal for someone and uh, want them to then, you know, nourish or feed you in some way. So coming from that perspective, you might look around and think, oh, of course, like this is what everyone does. Everyone is just out here like giving and giving and hoping that people will give back. But when you start to recognize, oh no, other people relate in really different ways, you can see that other people may have a totally different set of patterns and a totally different set of conditioning. So um, you actually start to be able to see what's going on under the surface and recognize, oh, like I'm really afraid of being alone, but you're really afraid of being trapped. And like, those are two very different fears and people are going to act really different ways based on that. So I think you said quickly, that was not quick, but it's like, there's so much here. I just want to like give an overview up front. So I hope that that is helpful. No, that was great. And so what I'm sort of gathering from what you said is that the Enneagram is kind of complex. Like it's not simple. It's not based on like one thing. Right. And there's some debate about whether you're sort of born with a type, an Enneagram type, or if it's sort of created as a result of your childhood and events that have happened in your childhood. And it seems like maybe it's more what happened to you and your risk your response to those situations that sort of shape your Enneagram type. Yeah, definitely. I do think there is an element of nature. I mean, if I look at my family, I have six siblings, oh, okay. all different types, <laughs> all seven of us. So we were raised in the same environment, but we all adapted to it in different ways. And of course we all came into the world with different you know, uh, proclivities and sort of our, our own kinds of essential gifts. Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, yeah, so there's that sort of piece of how we come into the world, but definitely uh, what the Enneagram digs into more is how we end up being shaped by our environments mm -hmm. and then how that will kind of just like set up this script that we think we have to use for the rest of our life. Like how do we get our needs met? How do we look for connection? How do we set up our lives? And if you don't really dig in and question those things, you end up really like uh, just going to the default of what your system tells you that you need to do instead of recognizing, oh, wait, I have options. <laughs> There's other ways I could show up in the world. Mm, yeah, that's so good. And um, one thing that you had mentioned before was childhood wounds or wounds that you experienced as a child. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, totally. So there's been a lot of research done about attachment in early childhood and how that kind of shapes our nervous system responses and what we look for and, and how we turn toward or away from caregivers. So I won't say that the Enneagram is necessarily like exactly attached to um, attachment patterns in terms of like, oh, you're this type. So therefore you're avoidant. You know, it's not quite like that, mm -hmm. but I think attachment theory is really relevant when we look at what our early wounds are, because they can, you know, they can certainly go very, very early in our childhood, even infancy. Uh, but most of us do kind of have patterns that we can kind of remember and pick up on. So for instance, a type eight is a type that is really afraid of being controlled. Like that's kind of their worst nightmare. They're like, oh God, like somebody could make me do something or force me in a certain direction. So they show up in their power really strongly. And the eights that I know um, are more likely to have a kind of childhood experience where they didn't, didn't necessarily feel 
welcome to like show up in all of their vitality. Like they kind of have this just essential drive to love life and to be really vibrant. And I think um, the core wound that can happen then around that is like people trying to fit them into a certain box and, oh, you should be this way. Um, and so what ends up happening is they feel like they really have to fight to be heard. They have to um, just always make sure that, you know, if there's, uh, if somebody's going to be in charge, it should be them <laughs> so that they can make sure that nobody ever like takes advantage of them or, um, mm has control over them. So that early wound, then it kind of feeds into that fear of, okay, like I, uh, I was treated a certain way in childhood or like I didn't really get to be my full self. And it's just kind of this, it can, it can really be like deeply tied to our core insecurities about who we are and how people perceive us. So we have these stories about ourselves, like, um, oh, you know, I always have to take charge. Otherwise, like somebody's going to abuse me or somebody's going to hurt me in some way. And so it's not that it's not that those stories are necessarily bad or wrong. They're just very focused and limited on this certain kind of deep experience that we probably don't even recognize completely that we're reacting to life from that place. So, you know, if you ask me to go to lunch and I'm really afraid that you're trying to like manipulate or control me, then I'm going to have a very different reaction to that than if I'm like, just looking for connection and, and really excited to get an invitation to go do something. Yeah. Wow. So it's so interesting that you said you are working with clients around like vulner vulnerability because the Enneagram does seem like it comes from like this really vulnerable place and like, yeah, looking at ourselves really deeply and from a place of yeah, vulnerability and like what our, 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 our core like fear is. Um, so it's just so interesting. I think they sort of are going hand in hand a little bit. Do you, would you mind like going over the types, the Enneagram types? Sure. Or yeah, I can totally do that. I want to just speak to what you said about vulnerability as well, because yeah. that actually touches on something that I especially love about the Enneagram is that it is this really intimate, personal experience and exploration. And that's one of the reasons that for right now, I don't bring it super heavily into my work with my clients because I want them to figure themselves out instead of me sitting there being like, oh, I see you doing this. Like you're obviously that type and look at this pattern. I want them to figure that out for themselves. So with the Enneagram, you know, with other personality typing systems, it might be more about like, oh, you do these specific behaviors. So therefore this is your type mm -hmm. with the Enneagram. It's a lot more like, uh, you could, you could be a certain type and there's like a million different ways you could look in that type. And unless I really know somebody on an intimate, intimate level, I'm not going to be able to know what type they are. I mean, almost always people have to type themselves. They have to figure out like their own way into it. So yeah, it really does require a lot of vulnerability to be present with. Um, when you read your type description, it's a little bit like, it, it's a little bit like a being personally attacked. You're just like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> who's been reading my mind? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there's, it, it just, it touches into this kind of like uh, deep chord within us of how we resonate, what we're drawn to. Um, and so, yeah, so work with the Enneagram really does require a certain level of opening ourselves up and, um, and just like being willing to be wrong and <laughs> figure things out as you go. Yeah. 
And that makes so much sense. Um, Sorry, just a I just wanted to comment really quickly what you were saying about just letting your clients figure out their, their type themselves is such a like strength space approach because right. They might not be ready to <laughs> sort of explore and learn about themselves in that way. So, yeah, definitely. So yeah, I can go over the nine types. They're grouped into three different triads based on kind of the uh, the part of your system that you have maybe the strongest relationship with, not necessarily um, uh, like, oh, we're tight, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, either a part of yourself that you react strongly against or towards. So those three types are the heart, the head, and um, the gut or the body. And um, so typically when when you look at lists rather than starting with one and going through nine, it actually starts with two so that we can kind of stay within those triads and look at how each set of three relates to each other. So I mentioned a little earlier, type two is the type that is very much about, you know, the person who will do everything for other people in an attempt to meet their own needs. And that's actually a type that women in our society are very much socialized towards. So first, like there's just a lot of type twos who are women, but also a lot of people think they're a type two because they have those patterns and they need to do some of that work around it, whether or not that's necessarily the type that they lead from. So it's something that we can all look at and definitely learn from. And yeah, I'll, I'll just stick to that. A super simple explanation. And yeah, that, that's perfect. Go deeper in. So, uh, so again, so that's a heart type, you know, really looking at um, wanting really intimate connection and wanting to feel deeply, deeply loved. And then you have type three, which is the center of the heart triad which is kind of like the performer, the person who feels that they need to achieve and achieve and like get all of these uh, markers of external success. And that is how they will be loved and accepted and get to feel like they belong. So um, so yeah, a, a type three can kind of like have a hard time sensing into their own intrinsic value. And instead they kind of like always need more deposits in their value bank from other people. So like, oh, well, if I win this thing, then like my parents will really love me. And kind of like I said, the type two is the lens that like a lot of women are taught uh, to experience life through. Type three is sort of the American lens <laughs> of uh, a very achievement oriented society. So a lot of us have some type three in us um, and that can be really prominent. I lead from a type four, which is kind of like the individualist, the artist. There's really this deep desire to be unique and to not be lumped in with other people and um, kind of a sense of like, oh, I just want to be understood really deeply, but also like I feel more deeply than other people and I'm more human than other humans. <laughs> so uh, with the four, it can, there can be like kind of leaning into dark emotions and almost just like luxuriating in pain. Like, oh, this is so big and human. <laughs> like, you know, kind of like picture, you know, King Lear like raging at the storm <laughs> just <laughs> being out there in in the bigness and in the hard things and actually having that make you feel more alive um and yeah so that's the heart triad the two three and four then we move into the head triad so type five is extremely intellectual really will go more deeply within and pretty much could just spend their entire life just learning and reading and taking in everything that there is to take in. They just really love to, to soak it in. And there's a kind of sense of like needing all of the information uh, 
sort of to, yeah, to feel more connected to the world kind of. Um, and they don't necessarily need as much like human in-person interaction in order to feel, um, to feel like they are connected. So they wanna make these like big contributions to the world, but they're much more um, personally withdrawn generally. So then we have type six. This is kind of a hard one to, to describe because it really <laughs> can look so many different ways, but type sixes are really keyed in to how authority shows up and like they have a particular relationship to authority where they might really push back against it or they might really feel drawn in toward, oh, I, I really wanna impress this particular authority figure. But basically there's kind of like a deep sense of fear and uncertainty about who they are and what their role is in the world. So they're always trying to figure that out. And mm -hmm. they might sort of need to see them reflect it, themselves reflected in a lot of different people um, in order to feel like they belong. And so uh, like often they could be like activists or just like people who are really involved in trying to build community because that's a way that they can feel that they have a purpose and also like, can get a sense like, yes, I belong. I'm not alone in the world. And like, and other people can kind of help me figure out what I should be doing with my life. Uh, and then type seven, which is kind of the like, super big, fun kind of energy where they um, really don't like to be with their own pain or to experience pain too deeply or too intimately. So they kind of will always be like jumping from one thing to the next, like, oh, here's this exciting thing. Here's this endeavor. Um, they might go on a lot of dates or try to meet a lot of friends. They tend to be um, generally social. I mean, keep in mind a lot of these sort of uh, generalizations that I'm making about the types, these are kind of the, um, the typical like expression of that type that we might see. And again, it, it could look a lot of different ways um, depending on what your instinct is uh, and a lot of other things. But yeah, so for a lot of sevens, they're just um, kind of like more likely to be externally focused, really want to just uh, enjoy life, lean into pleasure and excitement and variety and probably use that to kind of um, make sure that they don't get stuck in a space of like, oh God, I'm having intense emotions. I really don't want to be in this alone. I don't know how to handle that. Mm -hmm. I also talked about the type eight earlier, which has this really big fear of being controlled. So if there's any kind of vacuum of power, the eight is the most likely to step into it and to kind of like, um, naturally take up that leadership role because they want to make sure that um, that nobody's going to treat them a particular way or make decisions on their behalf. And instead, they kind of will um, take the initiative to set the tone for what environment they're in and what things look like in their life. And then nines are often referred to as peacemakers because they're really focused on making sure that everybody gets along. That's kind of like the thing that makes them feel okay. They don't necessarily have as much access to their own internal wants and desires because they're really tuned into everything around them and making sure that, uh, that things are going smoothly and that like nobody's too upset and, um, I think this might be the type that like a lot of people would kind of refer to as an empath because you're just so keenly attuned to the emotions of everyone around you that you kind of like, it almost feels impossible to take care of yourself until everyone around you is taken care of. Um, so 
there's some similarities to the type two. I mean, you might be noticing there's some like types that kind of have a lot in common. So sometimes when you're not sure between two types, you just have to keep learning more about them and talking to other people of that type. And that'll give you a sense of which way you lean. Mm-hmm. And then the type one is sort of the most traditionally associated with perfectionism. They're, it's really important to a type one to be right. Their kind of fear is of being seen as bad or wrong. And like, they really want to live in just like deep integrity and they want to make the world better. And they also want to make themselves better. Um, and the pattern they can fall into is just thinking like, oh, I know what's right for everybody. And I need to make sure everyone around me is doing the right thing. And then I'll feel safe and I'll feel okay. Um, so yeah, so that's just like an overview of how the types can show up. And a lot of the behaviors that I talked about are just sort of the average way that that type might show up. And as you start to do work with yourself and your patterns, um, and kind of untangle them, you can start to uh, get kind of less attached to those specific core fears that are motivating you and start to, yeah, just just be more open (laughs) to like how you're showing up. And then on the flip side, um, if you're kind of moving below average, you can sort of go from that way of like, showing up and being a um, kind of, uh, you know, like from being like very functional in those patterns to actually moving into like some really extreme like versions of those fears where Mm -hmm. then you, uh, uh, like for a type two, you could be so worried, like, oh my God, my needs are not being met that you'll actually start to like um, uh, create situations in your life where you sort of are making people pay attention to you and give you more help because you can't ask for it. You actually have to break down. So people have to help you, Mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. So Yeah. yeah, you can kind of see how there's a whole range of different ways that any type could be. And I mean, we all experience kind of like a huge part of that range during the course of our lives. Yeah. Thank you so much for recapping all the types. That's super helpful. Um, I'm actually a type nine. And so you said something about making sure like other people are like, um, getting along. I think I, I just said to someone recently, cause I was sending them a bio that one of my superpowers, they asked like what my like superpowers are. And I said, one of them was that I'm really, I, care about other people getting along, like making mm-hmm. sure everyone's like, yeah, yeah, happy, <laughs> content. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, and it's so interesting because those aspects of ourselves totally can be a superpower. And each of the types like has these incredible gifts. Um, and sometimes with the Enneagram, we fall into just like focusing on what's wrong. Like, oh no, like this type does this, like you should stop doing it. <laughs> it's really like, how do we exercise our gifts without wearing ourselves out. So like if you're able to um to coordinate and really like uh show up in a way that helps people get along without like that taking a huge toll on yourself, that is probably like what a lot of nines struggle with where they kind of have to take time to learn wait like what what do I want? Like I have a sister who's a nine who um actually, I remember at one point, like she went through this phase where she was like, if I need to make a decision, I have to go into a room with myself because I can't do it around other people. Like, it's just so hard with all these like energies coming at me. Like I have to like go tune into myself, see like, Oh, what do I want? And not like, what am I choosing? Because I think it will make everyone else happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really relate to that. And also something that I've had to personally, this is just like, um, going a little bit off off the, off the rabbit trail is that I have had to be very intentional about boundaries Mm -hmm. because I can tend to not have boundaries or just do what people want me to do. (laughs) So that was something that I've, I've 
I'm still working on, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's given me a lot of insight into how I work. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you discover the Enneagram? Like what was your uh, relationship to it? Yeah, it was something that bloggers, influencers that I follow had sort of talked about and it seemed like something that was really interesting. And when I started exploring it, just like you've said, compared to other personality types, it really gave me an insight into why I do these things. Like I might be introverted or extroverted or thinking or feeling, but it gave me more clarity about, okay, so this is why it is like, this is why I'm like that. And this is how I can really use that to relate to the world in ways that I haven't been able to before. So for example, one of my mantras as a nine is that other people want to hear my voice. They want to know what I think. So as a person who is typically like, I don't care, we can do whatever because I want everyone to get along and I don't want my opinion to cause any ripples or waves. One thing that I just say to myself often is, no, people want to hear what I have to contribute. And so that's really what guides me, especially in the workplace. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's so great to have that reminder to give yourself. And I think like all all of the types have those kind of um, phrases or ideas that can just help affirm the part of ourselves that like really easily can collapse into our core fears. It's just like, no, wait a minute. Like I don't have to prove myself or, you know, like I can... I can show up and get love without like giving up too much of myself. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons that I like the Enneagram so much. I think that a lot of people will go out and like do their personal work and, and all of their own growth and then think like, well, everyone else in the world is like me. So obviously they can all learn and like do what I did and then they'll be great. So you'll read these books where it's like, oh, I just, I don't really relate. And like, this didn't really work for me. But so like, what's wrong with me? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just not that person. <laughs> or like you don't function in the way that they do. Yes. So learning about type and being able to draw on this really, really rich well of information and research and uh and depth that has been discovered around the Enneagram, it just, it can help you find your own starting point and also just stop feeling ashamed. You're like, oh, like I'm not the only broken person in the world and like everyone else can figure out their stuff, but I can't. It's just like, it helps you find community. It helps you to be reflected um, and to just get a sense of like, oh, well, of course I am like acting this way when I'm just so deeply afraid of, you know, one particular outcome, like anybody would do that if they had that fear. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I was thinking of like, while you were talking about that is just, you're able to have so much more compassion for yourself. And I think for other people too, like, okay, that makes sense. Like why you would behave in that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Can you like describe how the Enneagram has changed your life? Yeah, totally. So I actually first discovered it when I was in high school, which is really interesting because our types are kind of like still in flux uh, through our developing years and kind of don't settle until our 20s. So it actually took me about 10 years from when I first discovered the Enneagram to when I actually like landed on figuring out what my type was. So when I was in high school, I really identified with the type three, you know, like I said, that was um, what the American perspective is. It's also very much how my family was, where academic achievements and other kinds of um, uh, outward, like, recognition were really valued. And then a lot of other things about us were not very valued. So, you know, I was in the national spelling bee when I was 13 and I was like, uh, extremely driven in school, ended up going to like, uh, 
top liberal arts college. It was very difficult to get into. And so that's really like how I defined myself in my teen years was like, oh, okay, like I can achieve these things. Therefore I have value. So I just have to like keep doing more and trying harder. So like I wanted to be an actor because I thought like, well, if I were a famous actor, then like, of course I would be happy because <laughs> I would like have all of these wonderful connections and I would get to express myself. And then like everybody would know who I was and recognize me for that. Um, so I kind of came back to the Enneagram again, just out of college when I was, uh, when I was in a pretty serious relationship and I found myself acting out a lot of type two patterns where instead of prioritizing my needs and making sure that I was being nourished on a soul level, I was really focused on, okay, well, what can I do for you? And um, very much wanting to make sure that my partner was totally taken care of, the people around me were totally taken care of, and then I could like have a little bit of me time. <laughs> um, and, you know, that was like what had been modeled for me by my mom. That was what had been modeled like in a lot of different um, media that I had consumed. And I really just did that until I burned out so hard I could not give anymore. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of type two work to do in establishing boundaries and learning to ask for what I needed and um, starting to recognize the place that I was giving from. You know, was it coming from a place of oh, I really need this. So I guess I have to give you this and then I'll try to get my needs met. But actually to like, oh, like it's a joy to give to you. It's like really beautiful. And like, I feel honored that I'm able to do this for you, which is such a different energy to come at that mm -hmm. from. And then um, eventually a few years later, I... I, I really thought that I knew my type, but I also had had a partner who kind of questioned like, hmm, I don't know, like, I'm not totally sure you're a type two, but like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me, let me just like learn more. And I wanted to figure out my wing type, which is like the, um, since the Enneagram is a circle, all of the types are connected to the ones on either side of them. And then there's also lines of connection that look at, you know, your growth direction and uh, things like that. So I took this test that was actually through a Facebook group called the Progressive Enneagram Test. And they would give you the questions from, um, from one of these, like, uh, it's actually the the READY, R-H-E-T-I, it's like the sort of standard Enneagram test given by the Enneagram Institute. But they would give us the questions like a few every day over a course of like three to four months. So um, usually when you sit down and take a test, you're kind of like you're in a particular frame of mind, you're seeing yourself a certain way, and they'll all come from that perspective. So it's not necessarily like um, as accurate as it could be, but if you just answer a few questions a day for months on end, then it's kind of like getting a little snapshot into how you evolve over time and kind of like, what are the core mm -hmm. things that you keep coming back to? Um, so anyway, I did that. I did the progressive Enneagram twice and I discovered, first of all, that I was a type four and that my wing was a type five, um, which was super interesting. The four is like the stereotypical artist. And as an artist, I had always looked at the four and been like, well, that would be too stereotypical for me to be a four. So obviously I can't be that. <laughs> so I was super resistant to it and actually very judgy about fours um, because they're often associated with depression and kind of like, uh, yeah, just like being overly dramatic. And so I was very dismissive of that type. And um, yeah, so it was a bit of a rude awakening <laughs> for me to be like, oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but it really did help me um, 
recognize some of the patterns that I hadn't fully like seen uh, seen the depth of the impact of like how they were in my life. So uh, for instance, fours will be like really, really caught up in our fantasy worlds and like have this entire outside narrative of like how life should be and what everybody should do. <laughs> and I feel like that's almost like why I started writing when I was younger because I was like if only I could just create the perfect world with everyone um, responding to me exactly like I think they should. <laughs> A little bit of type one there also and the kind of like wanting everybody to um, be the right way. Yeah. But yeah so for me, the fantasy world often had me just super fixated on, oh, I'm just so in love with this person. Like that person is just everything that I want. And, uh, and yeah, it's like, like I kind of would luxuriate in the teenage angst of like, complete head over heels unrequited love <laughs> like completely unavailable people who might not even know that I exist <laughs> and like and just centering so much of my focus on them which of course gave me permission to uh experience all the pain of the heartbreak and just really like lean into that um but also to feel like, well, it's out of my hands. Like I don't get to make the decisions for myself. Like if that person loved me, then my life would be perfect, but mm. too bad. And so yeah. it really just was like uh, something that I used to kind of um, make it feel like happiness was just like not fully within my reach and uh kind of like a little bit of learned helplessness there that I think that fours can fall into where it's like we create this fantasy world and then the real world can never be as good as the fantasy world so like when we have to exist in reality then we're just like flailing like oh life is so hard and terrible and no one loves me and knows how special I am um I'm kind of you know I'm making fun and being a little over the top and ridiculous I do not mean to make fun of like people who are in that place and experiencing life from that place because it's very real when you're in it. Um, I think it's only because I'm in this place of I've done so much work to kind of untangle those pieces and now I can see like what it is that I'm really doing when I fall into those patterns and when I like see someone I'm just like oh my god <laughs> like they could change my life <laughs> um so yeah it became something that helped me to find clarity within myself and to find a lot more um internal power I guess where I actually got to recognize that my choices create my reality. Like it's not something that's done to me and the fantasy worlds that I fabricate, like one, I get to choose what to put in them and two, like they don't control me. Mm. So uh, yeah, so as a four, I, I really have this fear of, not being seen deeply, not being understood, almost like there's, there's too much of me emotionally. And so like, I just have to suffer through it because like, there's no way for me to externalize it um, into something that, that people will actually understand and get. So there's this really deep sense of aloneness, which I think like, Everybody can relate to that for the, from their teenage years, but for fours, it's just like, turn the dial up to 90 because it's a lot and it just never ends. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I actually got to, um, got to start like finding traction in the places where I was leaning into pain. I got to really question, oh, like, what is this 
doing for me, you know, to continue to be in this heartbreak, like what permission am I giving myself by, um, constantly staying stuck in these cycles? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was a kind of sense of like, yeah, well, I still get to be a kid. I don't have to be an adult. I don't have to make the hard decisions. I don't have to say no to anyone. Um, and once I kind of, uh, I wouldn't say like found my way out of those patterns, but just like reduced the impact that they had and, um, and noticed myself coming back to them less Then I was also just able to show up and empathize so much more deeply with other people, because mm. instead of having the story that like, well, I'm special, I'm different. Like my feelings are deeper than yours. I was actually like, oh, okay. Like other people are also caught in their own stuff. And if I get out of mine enough, then I can see it. And I can have that shared sense of connection where I'm not just like uh, suffering alone, but instead I get to show up, support other people and um, find more purpose and meaning in my life beyond just making everything about me and being kind of like self-focused. Yeah. Wow. That that's huge. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it's really big. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and taking us on that journey. And so if someone is interested in finding out more about the Enneagram, where do you suggest that they start? Yeah. So there are a lot of books that I think are super helpful. Um, there's so much information online. It's really easy to kind of like get bogged down. I think if you're just looking for the basic types or you want to um, take the, uh, the standard ready that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. the Enneagram Institute is fantastic. They have some really great information on their website and it's, um, coming from a place that like the, the people who have sort of done the most work in bringing the Enneagram to our culture, like uh, uh, Don Richard Riso and Russ Hudson, they've written many books. They're really wonderful. I'm taking a course with Russ Hudson right now. So yeah, I, I love the Enneagram Institute. I think they do a lot of great things. Um, a book that I really love and have gotten a ton out of is called Deep Living by Roxanne Howe Murphy. And it has these incredible charts that kind of show the iceberg of like what's up on the surface for your type and like what's way below the surface. And so in terms of visuals, it's just, there's nothing like, there's nothing else out there that like people can just look at the chart and like oh shit, that's me, um, which I think is almost like more useful than some of these really intricate uh, descriptions sometimes. Yeah. And then I also just appreciate that book for the depth that it goes into in how to take these ideas and uh, implement them into your life. So those are two really great starting points. And um, you know, once you get started, there's so much more out there to find, but um, one thing to be aware of, I will just say, because um, I personally am not uh, religious, not aligned with Christianity, which is what I grew up in. You do want to just be aware when you're looking at Enneagram resources, like what is the perspective that they're coming from? Because mm -hmm. uh, the Enneagram is very popular in the Catholic church. There's a huge Christian movement as well. So around 50% of, um, of Enneagram resources kind of have this Christian bent toward them or in them. Uh, and then quite a bit of the other ones have more of a Buddhist perspective mm -hmm. because so much of this inner work is kind of about achieving equilibrium and like bringing these different aspects of yourself into alignment with each other. Mm -hmm. And it just, it fits so well with a lot of uh, Buddhist practices. So if you, want you know one or the other just like read the reviews look into who wrote it where is it coming from because um you may you know pick up one and just like 
really not resonate with it at all or pick up a totally different one. And that's, you know, your, I was going to say piece of tea, <laughs> you know, your, your piece of cake, your cup of yeah. tea, whatever. <laughs> so, um, so there's, there's a different resource out there, I think kind of for everyone. Um, but those are the two main perspectives that a lot of them will come from. So interesting. And I guess I didn't, I didn't realize there was like a religious tie to some of the perspectives of the Enneagram. So that's just really interesting. It is. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah. I think it's because the Enneagram, yes, it is really deeply rooted in psychology, but it also does have this really big piece of spirituality to it as mm -hmm. well, because, yeah. um, a lot of the kind of like how, how we shift out of our habitual patterns is to start finding presence in our lives and to mm -hmm. start like getting tuned in more deeply to um, our inner voices that are not only fear-driven. So, um, so yeah, you could try to like have a completely secular, you know, no spiritual aspect in your Enneagram work, but it's just not going to go as deep and it's not going to take you as far. So yeah, everything's going to, almost everything is going to have like some element of spirituality. So just like, you know, I give people a warning and mm -hmm. kind of like mm -hmm. find the one that aligns with you. Cause I wouldn't want somebody to like pick up a book, see a spiritual aspect that freaks them out and then think, oh no, I can't do the Enneagram. Like that's mm. not for me. No, that's super helpful. And then are you, where can folks find you? Are you taking like new clients or are you on social media? Yeah, totally. So my hub is at natsmith.org and that kind of like lists all of the things. Um, but yes, so I have a six month program coming up that starts March 1st called Vibrant Vulnerability. And that is basically where I'll take people through this process of learning to see themselves, support themselves, and then share themselves authentically. So really having um, a communal and um, yeah, just it's kind of like camaraderie on the journey of figuring this out, like how, how to be more, more vulnerable without like oversharing or, you know, just kind of getting into these like places where it's like, oh, I have to be vulnerable. I guess I need to like tell everyone everything on social media. And like, that's not, <laughs> there's so many different ways. And like, I, I would love working with people to help them find like, okay, like how can we um, figure out your path to, um, to tuning in with yourself, deepening your connections with others, and then also just bringing your fullest self into your work, whether it's a creative field or whatever else you do. So I do that. I also do take one-on-one -on -one coaching clients as well. And, uh, you know, all of that information is on my website. Um, and I have a couple different Instagram accounts. The kind of main one is creating underscore Nat. So that's a great place to see my, um, current projects and thoughts and things like that. Um, and I think I didn't mention earlier, I use they, them pronouns. I probably could have said that at the beginning, uh, but yes, if you want to refer to me, <laughs> that's, um, that's what I use. Thank you so much. I really, I love talking about the Enneagram and I love hearing about it and I love your stories that you shared and thank you so much. I'm really excited for this episode to come out. Yeah, me too. Thank you. This was super fun. Great first podcast. And, I know. Um, I can't believe it was your first one. You sounded great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm just so thrilled that the Enneagram is becoming more popular. You know, people used to look at me really weird when I brought it up and now <laughs> it seems like, okay, like I can, I can talk about it and people are just like, coming around to it more, less afraid of like the spirituality aspect of it. And it's just, it's so wonderful to see that people are using it to grow, to create deeper connection and, um, and to just stop feeling stuck because like mm -hmm. these, these like ways of being that we don't even know that we're stuck in, it's like so freeing once you kind of mm -hmm. can like open up and see what's beyond that. 
And then it also just helps us be so much more receptive to being tuned in to the rest of humanity when we're not like, oh, well, I'm special and different and better. And like everyone else has it wrong, <laughs> which I think is really easy when we're not, um, uh, not aware of what's mm -hmm. going on around us. Yeah, that was such a beautiful way to sort of wrap up the Enneagram. <laughs> it's like, how can we be better for humanity, humane, humans in general? Yeah, so. yeah, because we all want to like be happier and live better lives. But of course, um, there's a, a greater purpose to our self-growth and that is contributing to the planet and humankind and all of these things. And um, yeah, the Enneagram really feeds beautifully into both of those. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, have a great day. Thanks, you too.